14. We have sports going crazy as usual. NBA playoffs is down to the last two conference finals. Hockey is down to the last Stanley Cup final. Baseball is one week away from the beginning. Football is full go. We're about to be in week three of that. Right off the club, I want to shout out Bryson DeChambeau on his first ever major tournament win. It's not like I told you so on episode one, or maybe I did. And that is what we would call a TLDR bump, everybody. Boom. We're starting to give those out. They're coming, uh, coming fast, coming off the shelves. Tyler had a crazy Saturday this weekend. First off, he fell out of a golf cart. And right after that, he ended up breaking his pitching wedge out of pure anger, which we've never seen before out of this guy. To top it all off, he drank a nice, meaty, barrel-aged beer at the end of the night that James force-fed to him. Tyler, <laughs> explain that to us in your words. Wow. That was quite, quite your twist on it, Eric. Um, <laughs> yes, I did fall a golf cart, but it was 100% James's fault. Um, that is not uh, true. Uh, it was because I was uh, leaning over to grab a ball that we we're going to pick up. Uh, I leaned over. I missed the ball. And then James decided for some reason to speed up and then turn very quickly as I was hanging off the edge of the golf cart. And momentum will tell you that that will take my ass out of the golf cart. So, uh, yeah, I landed right on my ass. My toe still kind of hurts a few days later. So that's Your good. Your core wasn't activated, bro. Yeah, that's what I did wrong. <laughs> yeah, my bad. And then, yeah, I, I did break my pitching wedge a few holes earlier. Uh, was not having a good day. Probably had like four holes in a row where I was like the best I shot was a triple bogey. Uh, so it was a rough day and I just had a really bad chip shot from, you know, 20 yards out and uh, I slammed my pitching wedge and it snapped in half. Uh, but Hey, good news is after that I played bogey golf. So I played a lot better and the pitching wedge I got today, I love a lot and I'm very excited to use it for tomorrow's matchup with you guys. You get a pitching wedge. What kind of wedge did you get? It was a used one. I just found. So, thirty bucks. Yeah, yeah. I I once threw my wedge on a course. I think it was like the twelfth hole, and then like I got to like three holes later and realized I didn't have my wedge, and then it was just gone. So I played the rest of the round without it. It's not like I was gonna play good anyways. But uh, James, uh, I didn't see any silverware drawers get ripped out of a of a household this Sunday. The Niners won. How was your uh, Sunday? It was good. I mean, like, I spent pretty much Saturday and the weekend with you guys anyway. So it was a lot of fun. The Niners won. A lot of big injuries. I'm a little concerned at the defensive end. But, you know, it's Niners won, man. It's a good day. It's a good day. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I agree, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, trade in. <laughs> Your boy won the MVP, not Connor McDavid, the other good guy on that team. But how you doing? Dude, I'm doing good. Uh, we had Leon win three awards this year. Um, we'll be getting into that. We'll be getting into a little bit of the awards as a as my kind of ending uh, ending discussion. So, but yeah, man, I'm doing good. Um, it's been fun. The wait, that's the MVP he won, right? Is that the Hart Trophy? Yeah, he won the yeah, Hart. Yeah, good, good. He won back check. He won the um, uh, what do you call it? The um. Now forget it. We'll get into it. Lock it in. Let's go. <laughs> yep. 
So as you can see, trading isn't locked in, but when we return, trading will be locked in for the NHL Stanley Cup analysis and awards. Yes, sir. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We are about to shoot the shit on this 1-1 tied series of the Stanley Cup Final plus the NHL Awards. Who better to lead us off with it than Traden, the hockey guy? Yes, sir. Well, what, guys, I mean, what a Stanley Cup Final, I mean, so far. Um, I, you know, I, was, I think we expected Tampa Bay to be kind of their, their – speed oh, it was kind of absent in the first you know first couple periods of the first game but I don't I didn't expect the stars to be as exciting as excuse me as exciting as they are I mean they were extremely exciting in the last uh, last two games especially yesterday towards the end um, but we'll let's get into each game we have um, you know we the series is tied 1-1 game one saw the stars beat the bolts 4-1 um, the first 40 minutes, I mean, you guys saw the first 40 minutes was all Dallas. James, I mean, I mean, this is your team. What? I mean, <laughs> was something was something in the was something in their Wheaties or what the hell was going on in that first 40 minutes? <laughs> I honestly just think that the Lightning were tired, man. I mean, the Stars had like what four days of rest prior to that, yeah. and then the Lightning just got done playing maybe like what two days before that, yeah. something like that. They, the Lightning looked slow. The Stars did not. And I think it's mostly the fact that the Lightning had to kind of change how they played versus got off playing the Islanders team that kind of just kind of sat back and waited for things to come to them and played defensive hockey. When the Stars come at you, they're coming at you. They're physical. And it's, I mean, not to say that the Islanders weren't physical. It's just the fact that they kind of sat back, but the Stars attack you. And it took a while for Tampa Bay to figure it out. I wish it took longer, but they figured it out in two periods, which kind of scares me because then you look at the first – period of game number two and shit they were up three to, three to zero that was scary yeah it was completely different um that third period was was just domination by tampa bay but you know any coach will tell you oh now you're gonna decide to start playing it's a little late for that you're already down three zero you know or three one um it's just a little too late um tyler did you did you catch any of that game one what do you think what do you think of the game yeah game one i didn't catch much live but i did watch the highlights um, yeah, you're right. Dallas came out. They looked fresh, ready to go. Uh, Lightning looked a little uh, surprised, I would say, by how good the Stars team was. Um, obviously, game one of the Stanley Cup final. I don't know what more you know motivation you need to come out firing. Um, and they never really recovered after that. But um, obviously, game two, they rebounded, came back with three goals in the first period. So I kind of see how that's going to be this series. It's going to be very back and forth. Uh, you know, both teams are going to go at it. I think it's going to be a great, great Stanley Cup to watch. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to the rest of the series. Yeah, the, the, the series is, is – you, you see it in games. I mean, there's always a debate whether you can bring in – you bring momentum from game to game. And, and I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, at least later on, especially later on, because you're seeing momentum shifts within games from period over period, minute over minute. Um, and, and it just makes for some amazing hockey. Um, there's one, something that really bothers me, especially with the first game. And actually you saw it in the second game, especially with Dallas is that you, their scoring is coming from Hanley, Alexiak and 
Kivaranta. The only point for Big Dog first game was Radulov, you know, getting assists on the second goal. Um, Tyler Sagan has been still muted, you know, th- this whole playoffs, it feels like. Eric, are you concerned about the, the Stars' ability to win a series if their big dogs can't fucking put up their – No, because <laughs> they got that D. And when I say that, I mean they got the depth. Uh, all, the whole time they've been in the bubble, Sagan has been a little mouse, hasn't done shit for him, And all these other guys are stepping up, scoring goals. And that's what you need in the playoffs to win, especially in hockey. Guys like Haskinen. Alexiak, Giryanov, Hintz, Foxa, Dickinson, Klingberg, who outplayed Hedman in game one trade in hot take. Yeah. Ranta, they got a dude named Pavelski. I think it's probably the best finisher in the league. That I mean, he has been one of the best finishers in the league, especially in the playoffs when it really matters. But they got all these guys that are taking up the slack for the big dogs like Ben Sagan. Um Radulov, except I'd say Ben and Radulov have done their job. They need to step it up more. They want to win the cup. Sagan really needs to get it going. We, I think we talk about this guy every podcast, how he just hasn't really done much. He was like kind of creating chances last night, but it was too late. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it worries me when you're, you pay so much money for these big guys to, to, do, to put up points and they're not. It, it, it doesn't look good for Sagan, but I mean – uh, what I have to what I have to give him is he is solid five on five. He his Corsi stats are solid. He's not putting up a lot of shots on net, but he's making up for it defensively. Like he he's not he's not leaking chances, which you can't put up chances for. Then then you got to prevent chances against and let Joe Pavelski of all guys just completely dominate the headlines. I mean Joe Pavelski. I don't know if you if I if I don't know about you guys, but Joe Pavelski seems like he's all over the ice, whether he's in the penalty box or they're scoring goals. What do you got, James? About this guy. Okay, uh so another way we could look at this a different perspective is that that top line isn't producing right now. So everybody else is stepping up because of that. So if and when that top line starts producing again, the Dallas Stars are going to be a scary team to mess with. No, absolutely. I mean I'm kind of just waiting for it to happen because eventually those types of guys just kind of break out. So I think the Bolts will have their hands full even more so if that's the case. Uh, but shifting over to the Bolts, I mean, I'm, I'm if looking at the last – Wait, wait, one last thing. Can I interrupt yeah. you? My bad. We got to mention that guy, Q Dobin, dude. Oh, you'll get, dude. We'll get there. He was a bigger part of game two. <laughs> uh, but we're, dude, he, he, we're saving time for him. Let me okay. Try. Okay. Because the last 20 minutes, <laughs> I mean, Tampa, t- t- Tampa, it was almost like you, you flipped the switch and Tampa was, Tampa was flying. Um, I mean, out shooting the, the stars 22 to two, a 43 to three advantage in shot attempts just absolutely dominated the third period. And then here, here, here he is, Anton Dobby Hudobin, <laughs> hero, stopping all of the shots in the third. Um, I mean, Tyler, this guy takes over for Ben Bishop early on, early on in the quarterfinals. Um, and now he sits, you know, nine and zero with a, with a, um, you know, 93% save percentage in the past nine games. That's before yesterday's game, of course, mind you. But in the third period, he has a 96 save percentage. I mean, I know we've been kind of pumping the tires of Miro Haskinen, but do you think that Hugh Dobin is kind of stealing the Conn Smythe from right under his feet? 100%. I mean, how many times do you get, you see in the, in the playoffs, the goalie steps up and is shut down. There's a brick wall in the net. 
and wills his team to win a Stanley Cup. I can think of one a few years ago, right over there over my right shoulder, Jonathan Quick. I mean, probably one of the best goalie performances we've seen in, re- in recent years. I think Hudoman right now is playing right up to that level. If he comes in and steps up and puts in, can put in three more wins for this Dallas Stars team, I think his name's going to be on that consummate 100%. You think if, if and when he does win that, they should give him, like, that rotten wool sock, like in Harry Potter, you know, when it frees Dobie, when he's not, like, a slave anymore? <laughs> <laughs> like, they should have it, like, in the joke. <laughs> reference. reference. Well, you, you know, that brings us to game two. I mean, I, I, um, Kylie and I, um, we, uh, we watched this game together, um, and it, it started with the Bolts onside. It's almost like the period three, you know, came back – from game one and they pound pound, uh, stars into the ground that first period. Now what worried me prior to, and I had said it to her, I said, the the star, the bolts can't freaking score in the power play. Sure enough on their second, second power play, they score back to back power play goals. Um, So obviously they kind of broke the, broke the seal on that. What worries me with the Dallas stars coming from game one and game two is discipline. It seems like they're in the box a lot for among many different types of, you know, penalties. James, is discipline going to be a huge factor here for the Dallas Stars? Oh, dude, yeah, definitely. I mean, before this game, I would say no, because like you mentioned, the Bulls couldn't score in the power play, but they figured it out. So now it's just like the Dallas Stars play physical hockey, and I say that over and over and over again. But you got to figure out – you got to find that fine line between too physical so you, and then just like playing your style of hockey. And that's going to be tough. If they can find a fine line, some stuff will start with me. The fact that the Bolts finally figured out their power play, that's not a good sign for the Stars. Not. Um, interesting that you say, you know, you talk about their physical play because we looked, we saw Kivaranta take runs at Braden Point in game one. Um, we saw um, Kucherov get completely manhandled yesterday. Okay, I, hold up. I have a lot of respect for that guy. He got oh. destroyed, and I thought he was going to not get up or just leave the game entirely multiple times, but he just came back, and he played really well after coming back. Guys. That, that guy is insane. He has, he has a lot of my respect. My, my issue with Kucherov prior to yesterday was whenever he starts to get frustrated, he shows it. He starts to take stupid penalties. He acts kind of pouty. And, guys, Kucherov is absolutely getting lit up. He goes to the back to wipe off some paint on his visor from the from the boards after he got slammed into the slammed in face first. Comes back, records what is reassist or two at least yes to break the playoff the season playoff record in Bolts history that was set by Brad Richards in two thousand four at twenty eight points, and we still have at least you know three games to go, and you know that's assuming that it doesn't go to game seven or game six. So, I mean, I agree with you, James. You have to give that guy pre- uh, credit to – I don't think he let the sp- his spirits break, and he actually threw it right back in the faces of, of the Stars. And to me, it hurts a lot more on the scoreboard than it does, you know, getting hit in the boards. That, that's just how it goes. Um, <laughs> I will say this. After a dominant first period, I, I think that the Stars really were hanging on. I mean, Tyler, did you see any of the second game? I mean, it, it, it looked like a completely different – Again, a completely different game later on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I caught I caught most of it. Um, yeah, all all Tampa Bay Lightning. Really, the first you know two periods, 
Dallas Stars came in the third, made it interesting. But I mean, that's got 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 to love this, you know, hockey. It's just what it is. It's physical. It's going to be close. Even when you think Tampa Bay is going to run run away with it after the first period, you know, their sticks go quiet and they can't seem to score anymore. Star step up. That's what you love about hockey games. Like you mentioned earlier, there's so many ebbs and flows. There's so many momentum changers. Even a three goal lead in the playoffs isn't necessarily a guaranteed safety net. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Unless you get a TLDR bump, like mid game, <laughs> that course. still could be could be sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> um, passing off one last point, um, Eric, you brought up the point that the that the defense on the Stars were actually outplayed Hedman on Game One. And I hundred percent agree. I'm actually starting to be in the camp that Hedman, it's Hedman's con Smythe to lose if the Tampa Bay Lightning win, but he's not going to win it if he plays like he did game one. So I definitely, he definitely turned it around last game. I mean, Hedman is just a complete powerhouse on the back end. Um, but to, to finish up the discussion, um, you know, we may or may not be talking about a winner next week. I mean, if it goes to game seven, they're playing on Wednesday. So, um, so, I mean, there's a higher chance that we'll be talking about the winner, um, you know, next week, but we might be talking about game seven, which I'm pretty excited for. So I'm going to go around the table and ask, who do you got, Tyler? All right. This is a really tough one. I've gone against the stars all playoff long. I'm going to continue that trend. Lightning and seven. Lightning and seven. Okay. Uh, James? Stars six. Stars and six. And Eric? Stars seven. Stars seven. Well, I like that you guys are going to, we're expecting a long series and um, I'm no exception. Um, I have Tampa Bay in seven, um, but I, it's honestly a coin flip. It's going to be such a great um, next five games. Uh, very excited. But so that, that wraps up the, the series. We're going to talk a little bit about the um, awards. So the major awards, I actually, I actually saw how the major awards compared to, um, compared to our predictions, um, starting with the Hart Trophy winner, Leon Dreisaitl, my boy. Um, we were right about that, boys. We, we, we predicted he was going to win. I think that was kind of expected. Um, the, one, the trophy I was trying to say he won was the Ted Lindsay. Um, that one is basically the, is voted on by the players as the best player in the league by your peers. So his peers also thinks he's the best player in the league this year, which I think that that honestly is a bigger, you know, is a bigger trophy in some respect because that's your own competition that's telling you, Hey, you're the best player in our league. Um, so I think that was pretty special for him to, to win that one. Um, the Norris went to Roman Yosti boys. Um, we thought it was going to be John Carlson. Um, do we have a, on that are, are we really i think it could have gone to any any of the three it was headman uh roman yossi or john carlson are we are we surprised by this or was it kind of a coin flip for all of us yeah i, mean, I think i think yeah i think that was the closest voting of all the awards i believe that at least i've seen in terms of you know first place second place votes and total votes um so yeah for me it was a coin flip um yeah that's all I, got. I mean you think and it, a lot of it's based off the season mainly, right? Because, like, obviously, if it were to be now, like, you'd think Hedman. Oh, Hedman, 100%. He's in the, the damn cup final and carried his team there. Right. But the season. thing is, these trophies don't count the playoffs, which it's t it's tough for those players. Why an Oilers player won the MVP, dude. Well, sorry? 
The Vesno trophy went to Connor Hellebuck. Guys, to me, this was like a slam dunk. I mean, he was the only thing keeping the puck out of the net for the Jets. That was an alley-oop, slam dunk, LeBron James, boom, 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 done. Um, <laughs> the Calder trophy was a little bit surprising. We had Hughes winning, but Kale McCarr won. This is another coin flip for me. I think it could have went to either one of them. I think to Eric's point on the Vesna, I'm sorry, on the Norris, I think that Hughes played much better in the playoffs than he did in the regular season, but I think it could have went to either one. What do you What do you guys think? Totally agree with you. Yeah, I agree. Also, dude, why why does NHL have to call these trophies like Vesna, Norris? No one knows what it means. I feel uh-huh. like – I get that's like named after someone and that's all good. I mean, baseball does it too, but they still call it MVP, Rookie of the Year. It just makes it conf- – because I always – I mean, I'm a big hockey guy. I follow hockey, but it's like – I can't remember which one's which every time. No, I, I always have to I look have it no up. Clue. No I, idea. I should have started by saying who, which one's which. Norris was the best defenseman. Yeah. And Valerie <laughs> was rookie. Selkie, this one is, is the most confusing for many. Uh, the Selkie trophy went to the best defensive forward in the league. Um, it, it was so confusing that even James asked me, he's like, why are we voting on a centerman for this? When it's, it's a, your most important player, it's a forward, which weirdly enough is actually turning into the player who has a great season defensively, but also has a shit ton of points, which I think is kind of stupid. I, because if, if, if we were actually going by the best defensive forward, I think that that uh, um, Patrice Bergeron would be winning it every year. I mean, that's the reality of it. But well, and he's another candidate that was always up there as well. Sean Couturier won this year, and that's who you guys voted on. I did not vote for him, but you guys did. Um, so I guess it was no sh- shock there. I'm an idiot. You guys are right. <laughs> who did you vote for? I voted for Patrice Bergeron because in, in my mind, he, he, he's just a perennial defensive forward. You could, would you call it like one player on the ice? Like that's what I would call Bergeron. That's probably what I'd call Kopitar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, but it seems like the, the, the Selkie winner has to go above and beyond offensively while also keeping his defensive game intact. And it just doesn't make sense to me because if we're really going to the crux of what that, that award is, it should be going to the best defensive forward, which I'm sorry, is Patrice Bergeron or Kopitar every single freaking year. Um, cool. This one pissed me off the most. The Jack Adams went to Bruce Cassidy and we had John Tortorella winning. Here's my rant right now. What the fuck? Bruce Cassidy is given a fantastic team on, on a silver platter said, hey, please take this team to the playoffs. Guys, I could coach that team to the fucking playoffs. They have everybody. They have no issues. But John Tortorella loses uh, Panarin. Uh, he loses Bobrovsky. Duchesne. Duchesne. He loses a shit ton of players. He has. Seth Jones, who's who's an up and coming, for surely going to be one of his in his life, but he doesn't really have much more than that. And he takes him to the Stanley Cup playoffs, and he almost, you know, moves on against Tampa Bay again. So, am I wrong in thinking that's absolute bullshit or what? I mean, Eric, what do you think about this? Yeah, I think it should have gone to Tortorella. Just kind of going back to what you're saying with the uh, the Selkie, like how Bergeron would always be getting it. It's like it should be the coach that has like the team that everyone counts out from the beginning of the season, which is, was the blue jackets and the coach that takes a team like that and brings them to the playoffs and almost, you know, 
I mean, they showed signs of they they dominate they dominated the Leafs in that game five. Uh, they went into a few overtime games with Tampa that could have been different. Like they could have been in uh, in a deeper series with Tampa, but you, Tortorella probably should have got it because he had a team of guys that all the other guys left, and it was the thunder of basketball this year. Just how everyone counted them out, and they were in the playoffs could have gone deeper. Right, uh, Tyler, uh, James, you guys have any have anything to say about this award or any of the other awards before uh, we move on to my last bit of information? For this award, I think it's just very subjective, man. It's a, you bring it back to like an MVP for like basketball or for baseball or something. And it's just like, is it really the best person in the league or is it the best person on a team or is it the best person on a winning team? And those are the questions you have to ask. And that's what makes the super subjective, which is yeah. why it's kind of like a coin flip too for this. Because yeah. I, I mean, if, it, if you're just looking at records, it's the team that has the best record should have the coach of the year. True. But it's not. My favorite in it. NHL award, the Lady Bing Trophy goes to the oh nicest guy in hockey. As the as the we're big, talking about that one, biggest pansy ass. <laughs> no, who won nice that? guy award, nice guy award. Yeah, the nice guy award. Yeah, of course, you'd like that one. Who won the nice guy award? Um, I have no one knows. No one cares. They don't care about that one. <laughs> I think it was Dreisaitl, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it wasn't Dreisaitl. It was. Um, Kobitar won it one year, but that's I think he won the Selkie. It was well. probably Kachuk, right? No, Nate McKinnon. Um, I mean, he deserves something. He deserves yeah, something. Kachuk. He deserves something. Kind of the, the shittiest one to win. Um, well, it wasn't Lucic. No, God, no. Um, imagine that. Um, I just want to quickly update everyone. We did get some information about the next season, um, so I'm just going to kind of spit that out before uh, you know I kind of forget it. The NHL is still planning for a full 82-game season with the usual four-round best-of-seven playoff series. Um, Gary Bettman anticipates playing that full season, but how and when is something that remains to be seen. Um, we don't have all the information on that, and they don't to make that decision. Um, and anything right now would be speculation, but the goal is to get back as close to normalcy as possible, which I think we all could, could uh, really use right now. The NHL has initially been in December once, Seems like probably going to be pushed into later December, if not January. And in my opinion, that's probably better. Let these guys get out of the bubble, be with their families through the holidays, get through the holidays, and maybe restart then. Um, although Gary's preference would be to stay out of the summer as much as possible. Um, fans typically like, like watching the you know hockey in the fall, winter, and spring. Um, so having it later is it would kind of it kind of seems like fans tune out. But I don't know how much I think they had to do it this this the way they did this year, obviously. Um, but they're looking at any solutions. So the biggest question mark is what are they going to do with the Winter Classic on January 1st? Um, my guess is it's probably not going to go through if they can't get enough fan, any fans in there. So um, they'll have to, you know, reschedule that. But um, that, that, that's kind of where we're at. Um, there's no additional information, but I will keep everybody updated when we do get more. Um, but, guys, we are a week away from ending hockey. I mean, hockey's done in a week, in a day maybe. and and uh, I'm sad about it. <laughs> wow, trading. Uh, way, way to I'm end on that man. note. No, I'm kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, at TLDR, we always talk about seasons ahead of seasons while seasons are going on. Um, but when we return, James is going to keep continuing on with his waiver wire, guys that you may want to pick up in your league if you're struggling. I'm not. I'm 2-0 and in our league, actually. Uh, Matt Rivera, good shout-out. I'm 2-0. Uh, doing well, James. What are you? I'm in last. I'm He's in last. 
Are you 0-2 okay? Uh, yeah. Traden is 0-2, I believe. Yeah. And Tyler. 2-0, baby. 2-0? Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and uh, when Alex comes back on next episode, he'll tell you his record. I, I don't know what He's his record is. He's also 0-2. Oh, shit. He's 0-2 yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, all, all, those, uh, all those middle schoolers and everyone that said me and Tyler were idiots, like, who the fuck is this Tyler guy? Hey, what are you smoking? Uh, 2-0. But when we return, James is going to let you know why there's certain guys you can pick up to pick your season back up for you. And we're back, everybody. And James is going to continue on with the waiver wire. Are we sure we should be listening to the guy that's 0-2? Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> first and foremost, suspicious. I just got wrecked by injuries this year, which I'm going to talk about first. So, this last week, guys, it was brutal for NFL teams and fantasy owners alike. There was injuries that changed the landscape of just of not just the fantasy seasons, but also for NFL teams as a whole as well. Um, big names here. Christian McCaffrey's out four or six weeks with a high ankle sprain. Saquon Barkley. That's an ACL tear. He's out for the year. That's tough. That's picks one and two on pretty much everybody's board. Cortland Sutton, one of my main guys, one of my draft crushes, tore his ACL as well, out for the season. Raheem Mostert for the Niners, MCL sprain. So these are some big-name big guys that, honestly, if you have them, listen to this episode, listen to this segment, because you're going to need some help. I was going to go over some um, updates to the fa- for fantasy football, but, you know, Eric just did that last so we're going to move on to quarterbacks here. <laughs> and we're going to start with uh, Ryan Tannehill from Tennessee. He's currently 34.5% owned in week two. He had 26.7 points. Overall, he has 46.1 points. He is currently the, high, the ninth highest uh, fantasy quarterback. He's ahead of Lamar Jackson. Against the Jags, he was 18 for 24, had 239 yards and four touchdowns. A lot of people typically avoided anybody on the Titans other than Derrick Henry because we all thought that they were going to be a run-heavy offense. But, man, we were wrong. It's almost split down the middle right now. They have 68 pass attempts through two games, which is about 55% of their offensive snaps. Part of this is the emergence of really good weapons on the offensive end. Corey Davis is finally healthy. He was a former number five overall pick in 2017, so a lot, a lot of potential, but an Jonathan Smith is looking really good. A.J. Brown isn't healthy right now, but when he is, he's a weapon, and we saw it last year. So the biggest question that people ask is, Tannehill's been in the league since 2012. Why are we only hear about, hearing about him now? And the reason being, he no longer has Adam Gase as his coach. Adam Gase is a terrible coach. He kills careers. Don't ever have him as your coach. If you're on the Jets right now, leave the Jets. <laughs> Next up, Ryan Tannehill plays the Vikings. And this is a great match for any quarterback because the Vikings' defense looked good on paper. But they've given up 578 passing yards and five passing touchdowns so far this season. And also, they lost their star, their star linebacker, Anthony Barch, at Torn Peck, so he's out for the season as well. Tyler, you have a pretty solid team that doesn't have any real weaknesses anywhere, so you've kind of just become the QB guy for this segment. Oh, yeah. What do you think about Tannehill as a waiver-wire pick for Week 3? And does he finish the season as a top-10 fantasy QB? I think Tannehill is a great addition to your team, give you some uh, quarterback depth. Um, I think he, I surprised a lot of people. I think maybe some people thought last year was just kind of a one season, one hit wonder type of deal. Uh, he was the comeback player of the year last year. Um, I think he's continuing that hot streak. 
Um, for nine consecutive regular season games, he scored multiple uh, passing scores in, in, for, for fantasy. So it seems like whatever he's got going on in Tennessee, uh, he's doing pretty well there. Uh, so for me, I feel like this is a guy that you can rely on and he can be dependable. Um, like you said, he, like you mentioned, he was the, he's the ninth ranked quarterback right now in fantasy. If he keeps this up, I don't see why he can't finish in the top 10. Uh, a couple other notable QBs here is my pick from last week is Gardner Minshew. He's owned it only 19.5% of the league, so that's a slight uptick from last week. But he scored 23.46 points last week. He's currently the number 11th ranked QB. And Joe Burrow, he's in, owned in 45.1. He scored 24 points last week. He's a 12th overall QB. Joe Burrow right now, if you guys Thursday game, he looks good. If you had an offensive line, he'd, he'd be really, really great. But he doesn't, so he's rushed and it sucks. Next up, moving to running back, we got Joshua Kelly from the Chargers. He's owned in 27.9% of leagues. In week two, he had 13.3 points. Overall, he has 25.3. Against Kansas City, and mind you, this was a very close game, he had 23 carries for 64 yards and two receptions for 49 yards. Joshua Kelly outtouched Austin Eckler 25 to 20. And Austin Eckler is supposed to be the number one running back on this team, but right now it's not looking like it. It's looking like running back 1A and 1B. They're going to split that backfield. Snap count-wise, Joshua Kelly was only on the field for 43 snaps, while Austin Eckler was on the field for 47. So just four more snaps. Uh, looking up to next week, we got the Panthers. The Panthers don't look like a great defense. They gave up 127 rush yards per game right now. So that combo of Joshua Kelly and I like to tear up this defense. Eric, other than Alvin Kamara, you don't really have much depth at the running back position. What do you think about adding Joshua Kelly? I won't add him myself, but I'll tell you why you should add him. <laughs> because first off, I do remember hearing his name a fuck ton of times during that game uh, against the Chiefs. And he had a uh, team-high 23 carries that game. 64 yards, two out of three passes caught for 49 yards. He's, he was racking up points. And kind of going off what you said, the Chargers are showing us now they got kind of a 1A, 1B running back format. It's going to be like Eckler. When Eckler gets tired, it's going to be Kelly. Kelly seems like he's getting the job done for him. Um, I wouldn't pick him up on my squad because uh, I picked up – fuck, who did I pick up? Robinson. You told me to pick up Robinson from the uh, Jags in week one, and I did. Uh, or maybe that's another league, actually. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I will pick up in our league. I mean, I'm currently I'm 2-0, so I'm not really worried about it yet. But he is a good pickup. He's going to get a lot of reps, and uh, the more the merrier if you have him in fantasy. A couple of other notable running backs to look out for is Deion Lewis from the Giants. He's owned in 0.9% of the leagues. He had 15.6 points last week. That's because Saquon Barkley went out. He's not going to be the number one guy. Um, breaking news here as of this morning, Devontae Freeman, used to be with the Falcons, just signed with the Giants. So he's going to be the number one guy for the Giants if he passes the COVID testing, which I think he will. And then Jarek McKinnon from San Francisco is owned in 19.1% of leagues. He's the ninth overall running back right now, which is kind of surprising because he's played in – I think he's had like, what, 20 snaps on the season? But he's making really good work of those snaps. Mostert's out. Tevin Coleman's out. Jarek McKinnon is next man up. in a San Francisco team that runs the ball often. If he's open on your waiver wires, pick him up. Moving on to wide receiver here, we got Russell Gage from the Falcons. 20.0 of the leagues in week two, he had 16.6 points. Overall, he has 37 points. That's 11th highest out of all wide receivers. He's had more points than 
Julio Jones, Juju, Amari Cooper, guys that were drafted like in first three rounds, and he's beating them. Against the Cowboys, he had six receptions with nine targets, 46 yards, and a touchdown. He has the second most targets in week two, and he has the second overall most targets for the season for the Falcons. The Falcons have a lot of mouths to feed, but Matt Ryan shows that he's up for it. This Falcons defense sucks. They can give up a lot of points. They're going to be in a lot of negative game scripts. He's going to have to throw the ball a lot. He's right now, he's sec- the Falcons are second in the league in passing yards with 350 passing yards per game. I know it's week two, but it's a small sample size, but that's a lot of yards per game. Snap count wise, you have Gage with 62 snaps. Calvin Ridley had 63 snaps. And right now it's like Gage is on the field just as much as almost not crazy. Russell Gage is third on the depth chart, but I don't think that matters anymore. Matt Ryan can sling the ball anywhere. He doesn't care. If, he's, if you're open, you're going to get the ball. Next up, he has Chicago. Um, they're going to be hard. Like That's a decent defense, but they're going to be hard-pressed to cover three elite wide receiver options. Trading, once again, T.Y. Hilton didn't do much for you. When you were watching football on Sunday, I noticed you were trying to make a trade for pretty much anybody in exchange for him. What are your thoughts on Russell Gage? Well, I'll give you my thoughts on T.Y. Hilton. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, week two caught t- six and nine. Um, his latter part of the season last year, he was already start- starting to show signs of potential, and he's actually kind of just continued that trend, which is always good to see. Um, he was getting, you know, eight targets a game towards the end of the last season and still getting targeted even after the return of, of uh, Calvin Ridley. Uh, he's been targeted 21 times over the last two weeks and caught – 15,460 and his TD. Uh, he has a lot, to me, he has a lot of flex opportunity. Um, if you see one of your wideouts fall or suck like T.Y. Hilton, um, he competes with Ridley and Julio Jones, which is my main concern. But like you said, it, it seems like Matt Ryan is willing to sling to anybody. Um, I, 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 have him watch, I have him on watch right now. Um, I, I do worry about the Bears this week. Uh, I, I didn't. He, the giant or the I'm sorry, the Bears didn't let the Giants wide out or a Giants wide out um allow more than 50 yards. Um, you know, and so they have some stopping power, which is worrisome. But I mean, at the end of the day, he, they can't guard all three of them. So I think that I'm with you. I think I'm gonna keep him on watch and I might make a pickup if uh if he's available for sure. A couple other notable wide receivers here is Corey Davis from Tennessee. Man, I'm all about Tennessee this segment. But uh, he is owned at 35.6% of the league. He's had 12 points last week. And Keith Cole Sr. from Jacksonville. Jaguars actually look kind of good, guys. He's owned at 1.9% of the league and had 17 points last week. Lastly, for tight end, we got Jonu Smith. He is owned in 40.3% of the leagues. In week two, he had 24.4 points. That is a lot for a tight end. It's a lot for anybody. That's a non-quarterback. But damn, for a tight end, that's insane. He has 38 overall points. He's the second overall tight end in fantasy this year. Did anybody know his name before this? I didn't. Against the Jags, he had four receptions for five targets on five targets for 84 yards and two touchdowns. He has the second highest target share on the team. He's basically a wide receiver that blocks sometimes if you guys watch the film. Um, earlier, I talked about Tannehill and how he's, his emergence and how good he is, and Smith is one of his favorite targets. Snap count-wise, he was out there for 54 snaps, which is second to just Ryan Tannehill. He's out there more than anybody else. It's worth noting uh, right now that A.J. Brown is out, so he's still going to get a lot of target share. Uh, A.J. Brown's going to be out week to week with a bunch of injuries, and those take a long time. Next up, just like 
Ryan Tannehill because they're on the same team. They, they have the Vikings. They get 400 pass yards. So uh, this is initially for Alex, but Alex isn't here right now. So we're just going to go around the room here, and we're gonna, I'm going to see what you guys think. Tyler, let's start with you. Yeah, this guy kind of came out of nowhere this season. I believe this is his fourth year in the league. Um, didn't really do much in his first three, but he's coming out in the first two weeks looking pretty good. So there is a risk there where you're like, okay, is this just, you know, he's had a couple of good weeks. Is, is he worth picking up? Um, I think if you have a guy on your bench that is worth dropping and you want to pick this guy up just to see if he can contribute more, I think it's worth it. Um, definitely a, a guy to keep in mind. Um, you never know when guys are going to be breakout stars, and this could be a guy you can catch early. Um, so, yeah, I, for me personally, I think I would take a good look at this guy, uh, find someone on your bench that hasn't been producing, um, and pick him up and see where he goes. Eric? I mean, he talked about that's the guy who's throwing to him every game, and that guy currently has made the least mistakes. It's only been two weeks, but six touchdowns, zero picks, and 488 yards for Tannehill. Uh, and Jonu Smith's current stats, eight receptions, three touchdowns, and 120 yards, and he's averaging 15 yards a catch. So, uh, yeah, Traden, you should pick this guy up since you're complaining about T.Y. Hilton. I mean, he's doing way better than him. Dog, dog, wait. I got Darren Waller here, boys. I, oh, I, Darren I, Waller I, off I last night. Pump oh, that guy's gosh. tires all day, and I will with my sneaky pick. You'll hear. Um, so for me, if you don't have Darren Waller, pick him up. But if you have Darren Waller, don't worry about it because you got Darren Waller. You know what I mean? No, but seriously, um, looking now, it looks like the the roster percent has actually increased by twenty nine point five percent. So more than fifty percent of the leagues pick him up. So obviously, they must know changes of day because everyone's way ahead of him unfortunately no one in our league yet um but i mean james good pick because i think the whole league is kind of seeing it thank you very much all right lastly for my segment here guys we're going to go around the room and um, the, the guys are going to tell us what their favorite wire pickup of this week is tyler start with you miles gaskin running back of the miami dolphins who i'll tell you who the 24 <laughs> running back currently averaging 12.4 points owned in 19.9% of leagues. You're like, dude, why the hell would I draft some random no-name guy in the Miami Dolphins? If you're desperate for running back because there's been a fuck ton of running back injuries all season. Uh, so why not pick up a guy who's got off to a pretty good start? Obviously, he's sharing the ball with Matt Brietta. Uh, but so far, they seem to be pretty even in terms of their contributions to that Miami offense. So this could be a guy worth looking at. We're getting a bit, um, Jordan Howard also back but yeah, also that guy. Eric, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. Uh, I'm going with uh, who the fuck? Uh, McKinnon, that guy on the uh, Niners. He's been looking good. I'll go with him. I don't need him though, but I'll go with him. <laughs> okay, okay. Everyone stay in their seats. To give some love to Kylie's cousin and her boyfriend up in the north, who are huge Raiders fans. If you're looking for a, 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 a streamer quarterback, Derek fucking Carr threw for 282 yards for three touchdowns yesterday, was looking very comfortable after a slow start. Look, and he was also targeting Darren Waller all day, so I got to give him props. Thank you. Thank you very much for that. But, guys, I, when I watched that game, I just wanted to see some kind of life out of the Raiders, you know, offense, and he gave it. I mean, he looked pretty freaking solid. 
And I understand that, that Drew Brees was blind, but looked at his face. You could tell Drew Brees was just very uncomfortable with the whole situation. He was not feeling it. And Derek Carr was laughing, having a great time. And, and his, you know, he was slinging the ball. The, 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 the throws looked pretty nice. I mean, I'm not going to take him because I have Mahomes, but it, Mahomes obviously is going to have a bye week. And I think he's the kind of, you know, quarterback that you might watch for kind of a streaming opportunity when they're facing a leaky defense because he is, he finished 14th in all of QBs this week, which means, yeah, he's not starting most of the time, but when bye weeks come, it's time to put him on watch. Um, and some leagues have like two QBs, that type of thing. So you could throw him in on there too. Um, Derek Carr, I, I, I like I like what I see out of the Raiders, and I like what I, had, what I saw Derek Carr. Oh, and by the way, please, please keep throwing to Darren Mall. Thank you, Traden. Uh, one last thing. He brought up Drew Brees. I want to say one thing about Drew Brees, and I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I don't care. This is what I think. I think Drew Brees is washed after watching last night's game. Oh! <laughs> this dude did not throw the ball more than 12 yards downfield. I don't know if he can anymore. Without Michael Thomas running a five-yard slant and breaking free, Drew Brees has nothing. He looked like Jared Goff of last year, and Jared Goff looks like Drew Brees now. It's like they switched. Exactly. Bodies. They switched. But yeah, man, yeah. that's crazy. But that, that's my segment, guys. Thank you very much. Thank you, James. Uh, you just sparked me right there with that. That was insane. It's like that one movie, I think it's like with the witches where they switch fucking souls or something like that. That <laughs> seems like what Drew Brees did. You mean like Freaky Friday, dude? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, thank you, James. Um, and when we come back, we're going to have Tyler cover two segments this week because Alex cannot make it this week. So we're going to go first at those breaking O-Damn news moments of the MLB following up with the NBA playoffs, which are starting to get a little interesting when we return. Tyler, tell us about the breaking Odan news and of baseball. I actually have a breaking one, but I'll save it after Tyler goes over his Odan moments. Oh, okay. MLB boys, we're entering the final week of the regular season. Next week, we'll be predicting some playoff matchups going on. But for now, there's still a lot to be decided. But talking about last week, starting out at number five, one of the most 2020 moments of all time. A uh, fan, a man, whoever he was, wearing a Boston jersey, snuck into Fenway Park during a Red Sox-Yankees game in the eighth inning of Sunday's game. Pretty crazy moment. Uh, delayed the game for eight whole minutes uh, while they were trying to escort the, get the man outside the stadium. Uh, he was somehow able to climb onto the center field cam camera platform. Don't know how, but if, if you know anything about Fenway Park, right behind the uh, left field wall over the Green Monster, it's a Busy street, there's bars, it's always, it's, it's always a party down there. So somehow he was able to climb up there and be part of the game for a little bit. Uh, he was throwing things, he was yelling and throwing stuff on, onto the field, looked like a hat or some kind of football he threw on the field. If you haven't looked at the video yet, check it out, it's pretty interesting. Obviously he eventually was escorted away by Fenway Park security. Um, but a pretty interesting moment, pretty 2020 if you ask me. Um, Eric, I want to ask you a question. Um, since there's no fans at any sporting events, really, unless you happen to 
get lucky and you know score one of those tickets for some of those football games or your or your backyard as part of the U.S. Open. Um, what sporting event from 2020 would you most want to sneak into? Yep, you already guessed it. Golf, the Masters <laughs> in Augusta, Georgia this year. Well, it's every year it's in Georgia there, but that's where I would sneak into this year because I feel like golf now is you're starting to see like minimal, minimal fans kind of around the course. It could be what you're saying, like their backyard is there or whatever. But yeah, I would, uh, you know, that events are actually super fun to go to. You're day drinking the whole time. There's a bunch of hot women there as well. Like there's just a lot of pluses and positives out of it. You know, you're out in the sun absorbing vitamins. So I would pick the masters tournament this year. Right on. All right, moving on to number four, uh, Justin Verlander, the Astros uh, ace, has Tommy John surgery. Um, so earlier this season, uh, he sustained a forearm injury. He was working on rehabbing, hopefully to be back in time before the postseason began for the Astros. However, on Saturday, he threw a 75-pitch simulated game, and his symptoms worsened. They reevaluated and decided it was best if he got Tommy John surgery. So we won't be seeing Verlander for a while. Uh, he's 37 years old. He won the Cy Young last year, for sure, a future Hall of Famer, um, one of the best pitchers of our generation. Um, trade in a couple of questions I wanted to ask you about this, about this news. Um, one, how does it affect the Astros this season with their uh, playoff run? And then two, have we seen the last great season out of Justin Verlander? Good questions. Um, to answer number one, they're already 27 uh, – what is it, 27-27 now? I think their championship window has kind of just been shuttered. Um, I, I don't think they can honestly believe that their chances at another title are possible without Justin Verlander, unless they're cheating, even if they're cheating, I guess. Even if they're cheating, they're still not going to do it. Um, they will, I mean, they will have to stay strong to even make the playoffs still. I mean, yeah, they're, they're in it, but I think they're still going to have to, like, make sure that they win games. Like, they're not in it yet, you know? Um, they've dropped 12 of their last 18, and – Verlander can't come and save the day like Superman. So I, I, I just don't, don't see it. Um, I, I just don't see that they're them being a threat. So I don't To answer your second question. Okay. After 48.8 thousand pitches in the season and 3,100 um, pitches in the post season as a major among many pitcher, pitches that he, that he otherwise threw in his, uh, in his life, it's kind of a miracle that he hasn't had this issue before. Um, Verlander has a torn UCL, obviously. He's undergoing Tommy, Don, Tom, uh, Tommy John surgery. Now, I didn't know that the Tommy John underwear company named themselves after a surgery, but that's kind of weird, whatever. Um, it is what it is. Um, at, at the no risk, free ads. Now, now, <laughs> yeah, sure. now, at the risk of being muted and booted by three athletic trainers on the Zoom call. According to WebMD, in the final phase of rehab, patients could take up to four to five months to even toss a ball without a windup, six months before an easy windup, seven months before they can even take the mound, and nine months before they're actually in competition. Um, before, back in the day, it didn't, it, this was a season-ending injury, but now it seems like 85% of patients who undergo the surgery are able to come back and play at their same, if not better, um, I, I think it's tough to say. Um, it, it really depends on his rehab. Um, projections will have him at the league average when he returns. Um, and there, there are a couple of cases of where guys have, have managed to come back and, 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 and be as good, if not better, than they were. But 
I, I think it's tough. I'm really hoping for a speedy recovery. He's got a spot um, on, on the Angels roster at 2021-2022 season, and the Angels will be world, cha- world champions if that's the case. Wow, I don't agree with that last one, but uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, usually, Tommy John, you're looking at you know more than a year from the time you get the surgery to the time you're pitching back in the Major League Baseball game. It's a long process, but it is a proven process. And, you, and like as you mentioned, you, you see a lot of pitchers do come back from that. However, a lot of them get this – Earlier on, earlier on in their career, or mid, midway through their career, Verlander, 37 years old, is probably approaching the last, you know, two, three, maybe four years if he's lucky, uh, being able to pitch major league uh, uh, baseball. Um, so for me, it's the age I'm more worried about than the surgery itself. Um, as you mentioned, all those pitchers that pitches that he's thrown in his career so far, um, I don't think we'll see another Cy Young type of season out of Verlander. I do think he will, he will come back and still be a very solid. Uh, pitcher because he's Justin Verlander he's one of the best to ever do it um but yeah I, I don't think we'll see another dominant type of Verlander season and I agree I think the Astros on pitching other than Zach Granke really don't have a whole lot and their offense has been so inconsistent they've had a lot of injuries I don't see them going very far in the postseason this year all right moving way, on will love living in Anaheim just saying <laughs> all right we'll see what happens uh <laughs> we don't want on. we already got too many injuries Moving on to number three, <laughs> Josh Donaldson uh, was ejected after hitting a home run. Pretty fucking crazy. Watch the video if you haven't yet. Uh, but here's the breakdown of what happened. During uh, Thursday's game, uh, Josh Donaldson, a member of the Minnesota Twins, were taking on the Chicago White Sox in a huge uh, division-deciding game matchup. Uh, Josh Donaldson hits a home run to give the Twins a 3-2 lead in the sixth inning. On the pitch prior to hitting that home run, Donaldson took a called strike that he felt was a little bit outside. Argued with the home plate umpire, but he was still able to give him a bat. Hits the home run. As he crosses home plate, he kicked dirt over the plate in front of umpire Dan Bellino. Uh, Dan Bellino decided to toss him after that. Uh, Donaldson went back to kick more dirt on the plate and have some choice words for Mr. Bellino. Um, and the Twins ended up losing that game 4-3. to three. Uh, so just to give you a, a couple of quotes from Josh Donaldson about the situation, when he was asked about how he handled it, this is what he said. He said, I felt great about it. I think I nailed it, actually. I heard you, you had a lot of people texting you and saying they were embarrassed. He said, well, I'm not. This is my livelihood, and this is part of what makes me the player I am. And at the end of the day, if I have something on my chest, that's what it's going to be. And then he went on to say, if the umpire consistently isn't doing his job correctly, that's affecting our careers. That's affecting our success. At the end of the day, there is no reprimand, no accountability for the guys that are making the decision. As a matter of fact, they don't care. They don't care at all. They just want to get the game over with for the most part. And it's pretty sad because guys are making six figures a year and there's no accountability. So pretty strong words from Josh Donaldson and pretty strong actions from Josh Donaldson involving major league umpires. Um, so obviously this, this was a huge matchup, Twins and White Sox at the top of the AL Central Division. Uh, Josh Donaldson, one of their best bats in, in that lineup, gets tossed for, you know, pretty much kind of, you know, being himself a guess or whatever you want to call it. Um, James, do you like what Josh Donaldson did or do you hate it? I hate, really, really hate what but I kind of like it at the same time. And I'll tell you why in a second. <laughs> um, first of all, like Josh Donaldson, man, like have some respect. Like these guys are doing, this is their living. 
that's your living. You mentioned that earlier. Have some respect to the guy. They've been doing this for a long time. They're human too. Like they make mistakes and it's okay. You also make mistakes. You don't make, you don't hit the ball every single time. It's okay. You know, unless you're Joe West, Angel Hernandez, give them the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> Miscalls happen often in every part of every game of every sport. Look at it. In, you see in football, like the Saints missed out because of a miscall against the Rams. In basketball, they missed the, there's calls all the time that are missed. It, it happens. That's life. That's sports. Why are you going to treat him like shit? Man? That's not, that's not nice. And he, I mean, like I agree. Players should have a way to express their frustration, but he did that. He already argued with that umpire and the manager had to come out and defuse the situation. He literally was just begging to be ejected when he came out there and threw dirt on plate like that. Who are you? What are you getting from this? You're hurting nobody but yourself and your team. They lost because of you. That's like, that's not okay, man. And it's, it's like, if you think about it, it's like when you're like a kid, you know, and you're like asking your parents if you can get a video game for your Xbox and your parents say no, then they give you reasons why. But then you come back as a kid and you're like, well, fine. Well, I'm never playing Xbox again. And it's like, what did it accomplish? It accomplished nothing. It really just hurt you more than it hurt anybody else. And that's your fault. Grow up. But on the flip side of this, I also kind of like it because he brought up a good point. He could have said it in a different way and had gone about it a different way, but he brought up the accountability process. I think there really should be a way for the umpires to have accountability checks. I think the league should routinely check up on umps calls and look at their accuracy and maybe like lessen the games if they had made too many bad calls versus the league average. You know, if they like, if there's like a threshold, a percentage calls that need to get right. And if they dip under that, they get get taken away. So the best umps get get less games. I think they should be paid based on the amount of games that they call. Yeah, it, it brings up an interesting point. I think one of the hardest things about calling balls and strikes is, yes, there is a, you know, strike zone that's, you know, you know at, at the player's chest, the player's knees, and then the edges of home plate. Of course, every umpire has a slightly different zone. Um, some guys, you know, call a little higher, a little more outside, well, you know, so on and so forth. So it is a little subjective depending on the umpire, which makes it difficult for the players who are out there every single day and have to adjust to a different strike zone sometimes nine and nine out. So I understand the frustration completely. It also brings up the uh, um, debate if whether, you know, robot umps are coming, uh, meaning there's, you know, <laughs> the, the, uh, the strikeout zone you see on, on ESPN and stuff that's, you know, on the, on, on the screen, that's going to be, you know, an, an umpire's going to be hooked into that. They'll get a, you know, like what the Astros do, basically they'll get a buzz or whatever, if it's a strike and nothing, if it's a ball and they'll just call it based on what the computer's telling them to do, you know, something like that in the future, maybe coming, maybe not. But it definitely brings up those kind of conversations. Very interesting. Personally, what with what Donaldson did, I thought it was pretty funny overall. Like just the general acts and what he said, um, it was interesting. Um, however, just the timing of it to me, I didn't like. You know, he's one of the biggest bats in that lineup. You're trying to fight for that division crown right now with the White Sox. It's the last couple of weeks of the season. I just feel like that could have been done at a different time, if at all. Um, but yeah, James, I think you make some some good points there. Uh, all right, moving on to number two, uh, Luke Voigt is running away with the home run lead. Uh, currently, as we sit here on Tuesday, with about four or five games re- remaining in the season, uh, Luke Voigt has 21 home runs. He and the Yankees have been hitting home runs like nobody's business the last few weeks, last couple weeks. That that's the TL Dara bump right there. Um, Jose Abreu is the se- is in second with 19. So he's creeped up a little bit the last couple of days. 
Um, Marcel Zuna and Jose Ramirez have 17, and we have six players tied with 16 home runs apiece. Um, So in the last few remaining days, a two-home run lead isn't guaranteed, um, but it's looking pretty good. Like Luke Voigt might run away with this one. So I want to go around the horn here and ask you guys, do you think Luke Voigt wins it? And if not, who does? Eric, I'll start with you. No, I don't think he wins it because I'm pretty sure Mike Trout is one of those six dudes with 16. Well, actually, I saw a week ago that Trout was leading it, but he already isn't anymore. But I still don't think Voigt's going to lead it. I don't, think, I don't think two is enough of a cushion. So you think Trout's going to hit six home runs in the last five games? Four yeah. games, dude. Four games, however many <laughs> yeah. are left. Yeah. All right. I mean, if anyone could do it, it'd be Mike Trout, but we'll see what happens. Trayden, what do you think? Yes, I think he's going to run away with it. I mean, he's, he, I, think, I think it's just too, a little too far ahead with two little games. Um, and like you said, they're, they're hitting bombs. They're hitting dingers. Let's keep it up. Yeah, I think he's going to win it. James, who do you got? Uh, I might agree with Trayden. Uh, I think Luke Voigt wins it. We talk about momentum a lot on this podcast, especially hockey. And that's what you're seeing here with Luke Voigt. Uh, last time we talked about the home run race, he wasn't even mentioned, but here he is winning it by two home runs. And I mean, Jose Abreu was right there the entire time, but this guy's coming. Luke Boyd's coming up out of nowhere, and I think he's going to keep crushing him for the next couple games, and he's going to win. Yeah, I think just with the momentum, with how he's been swinging the bat, Jose Abreu's been solid all season, like like you just mentioned. So I think that might come down the wire if Jose Abreu hits two more before Boyd hits another one. I think that could happen, and we might go down to the last game of the season. That'd be super fun. Hopefully that happens, but I'm going to go with Luke Voigt taking the home run crown for 2020. All right, moving on to the final point. This is the most interesting thing to watch, I think, the last week of baseball, and that's the National League wildcard race. So the American League is looking pretty solid. It's more just about seeding. Um, the only team teams that have not clinched a spot in the American League are the Houston Astros and the Toronto Blue Jays. Or the Angels. Um, But it looks like they'll probably be clinching those probably in the next couple days. It's going to be a long shot for either the the Seattle Mariners or the Angels to actually, you know, sneak in there with a a walk hard spot. So in in the American League, it's it's looking more like seeding. Just a real quick rundown, one through eight, from from one to eight. We go Tampa Bay Rays, Oakland A's, uh, Chicago White Sox, Minnesota Twins, New York Yankees, Houston Astros, Cleveland Indians, Toronto Blue Jays. Um, I can see that pretty much staying the same. So the American League looks pretty set for the most part. It's a completely different story in the National League. Total chaos. you got six teams vying for four spots left. It's going to come down to the last few games. It's, it's just absolutely wild, and I love it. So the only teams that have clinched a playoff spot in the National League are the Dodgers, Braves, Cubs, and Padres. So that kind of comes down to these teams. St. Louis Cardinals, the, the Miami Marlins, the Cincinnati Reds, the Milwaukee Brewers, the San Francisco Giants, and the Philadelphia Phillies. And you can even throw the New York Mets in there if you would like. Um, but really, I think it comes down to those first six teams I mentioned. Um, it's going to be crazy. So really, with the, with the Cardinals, Marlins, Reds, and Brewers, they have two, two slots to get either the second place in their division or a wild card spot. For the Giants, it's either wild card or bust. So they have to make that wild card spot. They're not going to you know, overtake the Padres or the Dodgers for one of those first two spots in the NL West. Um, so currently, as we're sitting here on Tuesday, the standings from one to eight are Dodgers, Braves, Cubs, Padres, Cardinals, Marlins, Reds, and Brewers. You got the Giants and the Phillies currently on the outside looking in. 
but they're only a half a game back currently of those, of those spots. So um, a crazy finish here at the end. Um, I wanted you guys to, to, to take a look at the standings, take a look at the, re, re, the remaining games they have. Um, honestly, I think this is a crapshoot. It can go to anybody. I love how chaotic this is going to be, but I want everyone to give their predictions of who makes those uh, final spots in that National League playoff picture. James, lead us off. Hey, remember when you said the Miami Marlins were going to just be terrible this year and be the worst team in the league? Well, I think they take that second spot in the NL East after the Braves. I take it. And then a uh, hot take over here. I think the entire NL Central makes the playoffs. I think the Reds take the second spot. And I think the Cardinals and the Brewers will actually take that wild card spot. And it's going to be kind of crazy because for the last five games, they play each other. I don't think they're going to trade those games back to back to back to back, which would put them ahead of the Phillies, who I have kind of close there. But the, the Phillies play the Rays for the last couple of games, and the Rays are absolutely killing it. So I don't think the Phillies will win that one. But it'll be super weird to see the Cardinals and Brewers play pretty much eight games against each other if, the, if this all happens. But that's uh, Those are my predictions for the NL playoffs. Trading, who do you got? Um, I have – so I, it looks like in the East, obviously, I have the Braves and Marlins in the first two spots. Central, I have Cubs and Reds. Dodgers are, are the West is already done, like you said. The wild card is tough. I think I have Cardinals and Phillies. Um, the Giants, as of today, before this game that they're playing, had, had a 30% chance of making it down from 44 after their loss last night. I'm keeping an eye on them because my family up, up north, and it's my family, my girlfriend's family that I'm talking about. They're huge Giants fans. Um, I'm keeping an eye on them. If they win tonight, maybe I could see them making it. But if had they won last night, it, I think I would have had them. Um, in the wild card, but I just don't see it. Brewers are close, but I just don't think they'll. I just think they'll. Eric, who do you got? Uh, yeah, that was a mouthful of all those teams you named off. I was yeah. like <laughs> fucking scrambling, looking at all these stats <laughs> and everything as you were saying it. But I could two team it in the <laughs> NL. Is that what you're telling me? Yes. All those fucking Marlins yeah. will be one of them, and I believe the Brewers will be the other one because the Brewers have. They showed. A couple years ago in that series with the Dodgers, they got guys that could play. They just got to tough it out. I think they could tough it out and get it and squeeze it into a spot. I think the Marlins, I agree with James. We've counted them out all year. They're going to prove us wrong. Yeah, I think we're going back to the Marlins, as I mentioned, probably in like the you know season preview, I joked as it would yeah, be funny if the Marlins made the playoffs because of the shortened season. And here we are. They're currently the sixth seed in the National League, which is fucking you, crazy. Um, I think I, I accidentally gave them the TL Dara bump. I wasn't doing it on purpose, but I think it was an accident. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Um, hey, how come D Gordon didn't win the whole brunch championship then? Dude, I don't know. That, yeah, that was weird. Come on, D. Step it up. Um, but interesting for the Marlins, they, they played the Braves and the Yankees to finish out the season. So that's going to be a really tough schedule for them. I think they have the toughest schedule of these six teams. Um, but with that being said, I do think the Marlins will either get that second uh, division spot or a, a wild card spot. And then I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Reds and the Philadelphia Phillies with those final two spots. Um, but dude, it's going to come down the wire. It's going to be a crazy series, a crazy uh, last week here. I'm going to be glued into those standings every single night. Um, Got to love it. I mean, that's part of the reason why I think baseball wanted to expand playoffs is to create these type of scenarios. And with the shortened season, you got teams like the freaking Miami Marlins sitting there in a playoff spot. And even the Giants, who I think no one expected them to be competitive. Um, here we are, boys. One week left. 
next week we'll be we'll know for sure who did make the uh, postseason and i'm really excited about it boys postseason baseball is right around the corner tyler real quick ask this question again glad that they have the the playoffs uh, structured the way they do because of this craziness and you think it should continue forever uh, I think you made a really good point last time we had this conversation about how, you know, the, one of the biggest reasons why it'll stay is because money, you know, the teams make money in the, in the postseason. I think the owners are going to want it. Um, it's hard for me because I think my biggest thing against it is that it doesn't really um, reward winning your division like it used to. Um, I think that was a huge thing with baseball. Um and that was why winning division titles weren't just about bragging rights. They were, it's a legitimate advantage for you. Um, that kind of wipes this out. It really doesn't matter if you win or come in second or make the wild card. It really doesn't matter. Seeding matters, you know, in terms of getting that first series at home, but even with this season, it doesn't matter at all because there's not going to be any fans anyway. Um, and honestly, home field advantage with baseball, I think has the lowest, it's, it's, it's like the lowest home field advantage of, of, of any sport. So it really doesn't matter too much. Um, so I'm still on the fence about it. I'm going to feel it out. Obviously, we're going to have our first experience with it. So I'm open to it. I'm definitely excited about, you know, this, this uh, National League um, being the way it is and having six teams battling for four spots, I think, is super exciting. Um, so but in terms of going forward with it long term, I'm still kind of on the fence about it. Like I said, let's, let's play the postseason. Maybe I'll change my mind. But, yeah, still on the fence about it. Fair enough. That's all I got for baseball. And uh, breaking news, we got a TLDR bump alert. I myself am giving a TLDR bump to the LA Anaheim Angels because currently they are four games out of a wild card spot. They are beating the Padres in the bottom of the ninth inning. They just need to fucking finish this game off. They will be three games. Oh, fuck. All right, this pop up. Okay. They'll be three <laughs> games out of a wild card spot with. Two games left against the Padres and a series against the L.A. Buckheaders. TLDR bump for the Angels. They're going to sweep the Dodgers. They're going to squeeze into that last wild card spot, and we're going to bet on this series, Tyler, as long as they beat the Padres to get there. So you're telling me there's a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. And <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's a one help. I, that needs to be, like, the biggest bump in history if that works out for you. Yeah, if it really does. They have to beat the – oh, fuck. There's a guy on base for the Padres. But How are you so far ahead? Did you guys cable? Um, oh, yeah, so that's cool. all we got this week for baseball. It is winding down, and we will know next week all the playoffs, uh, all the matchups and series. Double play, baby. They already just heard my bump. Double play for the Angels. Uh, and when we return the last segment that Tyler will be coming for Alex – will be the NBA playoffs. Yo, everybody, we are back in the last segment. Trey just took a bite of the strawberry cheesecake, and Tyler is going to hit us with these last two series of the Sick League NBA. All right, taking over our boy Alex today. He couldn't make the podcast tonight, so double duty. And we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs. We're down to our final two series remaining in the NBA playoffs. We're going to start off in the West, Lakers versus Nuggets. We had game three tonight, and Nuggets pulled out a win to make the series two to one in favor of the Lakers. 
crazy game there. The Lakers were down by 20 points in the fourth quarter. They got it within about three points, about four minutes left. It looked like the Lakers might pull off an epic comeback, but the Nuggets finished it out there at the end and grabbed that series, that big, that big game three win for them. Um, first game, Lakers dominated from start to finish, 126-114 uh, win there in game one. Uh, game two, crazy game. Lakers were up late and uh, Nuggets came back there towards the end. And if you haven't seen it yet, I'm sure you, you'll have to go see it. Anthony Davis with the buzzer beater there at the end, game-winning three-pointer. Um, and speaking of Anthony Davis, this guy is shining bright. 37, 37 points in game one, 31 points in game two, obviously with that game-winning shot. Uh, he called Kobe in the Mama jerseys. It was awesome. Um, so, James, I want to ask you, you know, Anthony Davis has been one of the best players in basketball for a long time here, but he hasn't really gotten a chance to shine the, in, in, in the playoffs until now and he's taking every advantage of it. He looks like the best player on that team, if not in the league right now, just overall. Um, how great is it to finally see this guy shine on the biggest stage? Oh, it's amazing, man. It's long overdue. Uh, like you mentioned before, he's been one of the best for a long time. And it's always nice to get some of the pressure taken off of you, and I think that's why he's shining right now. For the longest time with the Pelicans, it was basically just him. He had Rondo for a little bit, but then – there was nobody really else there to help him out offensively. But now you got Braun. I mean, like, that's kind of a cheat code in and of itself. Those two together make a great tandem, and it allows Anthony Davis to shine. And he's he's playing in a system that allows him more freedom. It's not just sit in the post like he did his first couple of years in New Orleans. He's out there shooting threes. He made it three to win the game. Like, he's, he's having freedom. He's finding his full potential, and he's exploiting it. He's all over the court. He's super athletic, super fast. Jokic is one of the best big men in the league, too. He's trying to defend him right now. Anthony Davis, it's a good sight to see. Thank you very much. 100%. Love seeing this guy. I'm really happy that he's got a chance to, you know, play on the biggest stage after, you know, a long time being there in New Orleans and having a subpar team around him. And he's playing on one of the best teams in basketball right now. And it's awesome. I love watching this guy play. That buzzer beater was yeah, fucking disgusting. That was unbelievable moment there. Uh, I loved how after he sunk it, he yelled Kobe. thought that was an amazing moment. Gave me chills. Still does. I'm talking about it right now, and, and I got goosebumps. Um, so you, you, you mentioned Anthony Davis playing with LeBron. Um, LeBron had a few choice words about the MVP voting that went down the other day. Giannis Adedekembo ended up winning it. Uh, LeBron said he was pissed off about the results of the MVP voting, mostly stating that, he only got 16 first place votes compared to Giannis's uh, 65. Um, LeBron James so far in this series, 15 points, 12 assists in game one, 26 points and 11 rebounds in game two. I believe he dropped 29 tonight in game three, somewhere around there, 20 something. Um, obviously, LeBron James, year in and year out, is one of the best players in basketball, is usually in the conversation for, for MVP. Um, James, do you think that LeBron is right to be upset over this year's MVP, MVP voting? Yes. And no. I mean, he's one of the best players, so of course he'll be upset about it. If he was not upset about it, I'd be concerned. But if you just look at it from a straight number standpoint, Giannis had way better numbers overall. And I mean, like, he had a lesser team around him than LeBron did with the Lakers. His number two was Chris Middleton. I mean, Chris Middleton is no slouch, but he's also no AD. Um, Giannis kind of carried that team and as I mentioned a couple episodes ago when Giannis isn't on, the Bucks aren't on. When LeBron isn't on the Lakers still have a chance 
So I think that's the biggest problem there. But I, I respect the fact that LeBron's unhappy with that because that's just going to fuel even more. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of brings back the conversation of what valuable means. That's such a, you know, subjective term. I think people look at it differently. I think some people think it just should go to the best player in the league, set, you know, statistically, objectively, who was the best player in basketball on the court. Other people think there's a lot of other things that go with. There's that and plus the intangibles, leadership, you know, in terms of value, like, does this guy make every player on his team and the overall team better? And I think if you think on that perspective, I think LeBron has a very good gripe with that, I think, overall. And the thing is, he's been doing that for so long. You know, um, Giannis, great player, no disrespect to him. I think he definitely was the best, you know, basketball player this season, for sure. Um, but in terms of value, I think it's a little bit closer than the MVP voting, I think, um, showed. So I think I kind of ag agree with with LeBron on terms of the fact, I think he just didn't get enough respect for how many first place votes that he ended up getting. Um, so looking at the series right now, it's two one, obviously Denver, you know, is here. They came back from three, one series deficits in, in, in the previous two rounds. Um, they looked, they looked pretty good in game two as well after that game one loss. So I think this series is going to be a little bit closer, especially after, after their game three win today. Um, going into today, the Lakers had a 91% chance of winning this series. I'm sure the numbers are a little bit different now, um, but I'm sure everyone is still thinking that the Lakers will win this series in terms of how many games. And of course, but of course, you got to look at Denver with their track record recently, and this is a tough team to close out. So, James, um, how far do you see this um, series going? And, you know, obviously, I'm assuming you think the Lakers will win. Or am I wrong? No, you're correct. I think the Lakers are going to win it. Uh, they're the favorite in everybody's eyes, pretty much, unless you're from Denver, a diehard Denver fan. Even the refs. But I do, even the refs, exactly. Yeah, all the way through. Because, you know, they should be robots instead. But uh, <laughs> series of the distance, the, the Nuggets don't ever quit at all. And they were down 3-1 last series. Sorry, Eric. But the thing is, like, they have a lot of fight in them. They have a lot of pride. They're not going to back down. They're led by young talent. That's just not going to slow down for you. I overall think the Lakers win in seven, mainly because they do have that leadership and experience that'll help them push past the grind of a long series, especially because the Nuggets just came off a long series. So they're going to be pretty tired. Uh, I think the Lakers will outlast them in seven. For sure. Um, Eric, we were talking about basketball and talking about who's going to talk about each series and, you had mentioned that you have not watched an NBA game since the Clippers were knocked out of the last round by the Denver Nuggets. Um, I'm not going to make you talk about it, but I will throw it to you in case you want to say anything about the series before we move on to the East. Yeah, <clears throat> you got to give Nuggets credit for what they did. Clippers shot themselves in the first on their series <clears throat> before the Lakers, but uh, this current series that they're in now, I want to give the Nuggets some credit, uh, one, because I don't want to talk about the Lakers. And um, the one thing else about the Lakers, Anthony Davis was on the Pelicans, and they had to play the Warriors every year. The Lakers are now the Warriors. They're now the team to beat in the playoffs. They're now the team that's stacked that pretty much everyone is predicting to win it all this year. Um, so, yeah, Anthony Davis now, when he's paired with LeBron, he's just that much better. Like, he's always been that good, and now he's just that much better. Um, but – this guy, Jamal Murray, kind of reminds me a little bit of Steph Curry. If you watch him, he just sets pick and rolls with Jokic 
and that guy Grant, he just sets pick and rolls until he gets open. And if he has one little split second, he just takes the shot, and he's pretty accurate. He's making most of the shots. Jokic, on the other hand, that guy's a fucking beast. I think he's just as good as Anthony Davis. He's more like a Tim Duncan, though, where he's slower, but he scores every time he ball, gets all the rebounds. He's like a new-age Tim Duncan that can shoot threes. Uh, Nuggets needed to win that game, too, that they lost on a buzzer beater. Jokic was kind of like a couple steps late to Anthony Davis. And I actually wasn't watching the game at all, and I flipped it over. It was like the intermission of the football game that night. I flipped it over. It was like literally as he's getting the pass. And I'm like, oh, shit, there's two seconds left in the game. He's going to make this. Boom, he fucking swishes it, of course, because he's Anthony Davis. But they needed to win that game. I think if they win that, they could actually push this to seven. I don't know what's really going to what's gonna happen anymore with this series. I think the Lakers kind of got them now. They, the Nuggets got their win tonight. I don't really know how much they have left. Coming back from 3-1 in two different series, it's going to take a toll on you. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. You think, you know, if Anthony Davis didn't make that shot, you know, Denver would be up 2-1 right now. We could be having a whole other conversation right now. But we're not. Lakers are up 2-1. Hopefully they continue uh, playing great basketball like they have. They haven't uh, gotten back-to-back defeats yet in the, in the playoffs, so hopefully that trend continues. Uh, so moving on to the East, we got the – Boston Celtics versus the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat took the first few games of the series, 117-114, 106-101, respectively. Uh, Boston came back in one game three, 117-106. Um, so this is a pretty interesting series. I think a lot of people had picked the Celtics to go this far, but not a lot of people picked the Miami Heat to go this far. I think they're, they're definitely the underdogs left here in the uh, uh, playoffs, and they're playing pretty good basketball against one of the best teams in the East. Um, so I, I feel like in the first two games, the Heat looked like the more complete team. Um, they came back from double-digit second-half deficits in both games. Um, the Celtics have, done, have given up double-digit second-half leads four times in this playoff so far, which is tied for the NBA lead. So not a good look for them. Um, so, Trayden, I want to ask you, do you credit the Heat more for those first two games and, and those comeback wins, or do you blame the Celtics for, those, for giving those leads up? Well, that's a that's an interesting question. Um, can I say both? Um, I, you can no, say whatever I, you want. I gotta pick one. No, I gotta pick. One. That's that's the game. Um, I, I, I'm gonna blame the Celtics more um, because I think that you know giving up giving up that many points twice in a row and and then also making it a little shaky in Game Three, even though you won it, is is concerning. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna tip my hat to the Heat. I mean, that's that's resiliency. That's that's battling. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to blame the Celts more on this one. They need to play they need to lock it down. I mean, I'll say it, I'll say it as it relates to hockey and you'll see it in the playoffs, um, you know, in the Stanley cup final, it's a 60 minute game in hockey. It's the same for basketball. You play 60 minutes, you don't play, you know, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, blah, blah, blah. No, you play 60 minutes. That's how you finish a game. That's how you finish a series. I think they play 48 minutes in basketball actually. Why I don't watch basketball. Unless you go to like, you know, triple overtime or something. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I get your point. You got you gotta play all four quarters of basketball. I gotta play from tip off to final buzzer, hundred percent. Um I, I I also agree with you. I, I give more the blame to Boston, mainly because we've seen this trend from them a few times already. And I feel like that's not, you know, you do it once, okay, you credit their team. But the fact that this has been a trend 
not only the first games of the series, but twice before this. Yeah. I don't think that's a good trend for them to have. Um, so speaking more of the Celtics after that game two loss, there was a little bit of a post-game locker room outburst that was reported. Um, later on that night, head coach Brad Stevens held a late night meeting with some of the team leaders. Whatever he said during that team meeting and whatever was talked about with the players and whatever adjustments they made, it seemed to work. They came out in game three, pretty much dominated the whole game. Um, out, they, they outscored uh, Miami in the point or in the paint, uh, 60 to 36. So they came out attacking, driving to the hoop. I think they made a huge adjustment there. Gordon Hayward also came back from an injury for the Celtics, which I think is huge for them. His stat line, his stat line wasn't all that impressive. I think six points, five rebounds, and four assists, somewhere around there. Um, and, but I think his presence, and I think his leadership is huge for that Boston Celtics team. Um, so, as I mentioned, the Heat are still up two to one. Um, still a lot of basketball left to be played. Uh, Trading, do you see – do you think Boston has, has, has flipped a switch here after the game three? Do you think this is a different team that the Heat are dealing with? Do you think the after game three, do you feel more comfortable with Boston winning this series, or do you still feel a little bit iffy on them? Yeah, no, I, I actually feel pretty com uh, more confident with the Celtics now. Um, you know, I, I'll say I think it's going to maybe go to maybe one game. I think that the Celtics are going to come back and take it over. I think that Miami finally realized that you can't go down double digits in a game and come back every time. Um, that little blow up after game two – you need that sometimes. I mean, sometimes, t sometimes players in a group or, or, or teammates, or, I mean, you'll, we might even have, this might even happen, you know, after the hundredth episode where, you know, things are not going, you know, we're not having a great episode or whatever. We just need to hash it out, argue, get it out. In this case, they're playing shit. They're giving up double digit leads and they're not, and they're not looking good. So let it out on each other. Let, you know, it, it, fire each other up. Cause it, you know what? You guys are going to be done if you play like that. Um, you know, this, if this is a trend, figure it out. And I think that they did. Um, and, and I credit, and I'm not sure if it was, the, if it was as much the coaches com, uh, comments as, a, as much as it is the players just, I think, I think this goes back to what you asked me a couple weeks ago regarding, the, um, I don't forget which baseball team, but they were in the wrong direction. And I said, teams just need to figure it out. And this is exactly that situation. Um, because game three was a completely different story. They, 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 they drove the ball um, through, the, through Miami's teeth, um, did not settle for low percentage per, uh, perimeter shots, drove, drove the basket, and you know that, that's how they're going to beat this Miami team. And I think they needed that, that boost, that, that, um, that fight, that, that tension to be, to be kind of absolved. For sure. I mean, that's, that's exactly what I did with my uh, pitching wedge the other day, right? Just <laughs> slammed it. I, I, I more or less didn't talk to it. Yeah. I, more, I more murdered it and got a new pitching wedge, but it's basically the same, same idea. Got it out. And then yeah. you started playing better. And then exactly. You I started playing better. And... Exactly. It's, it's all good. So it's all good. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with you, Trade, and I think that Boston looked a hell of a lot better than that, there in that game three. I think they're looking like this Boston Celtics team. I think for me, this is their series to lose more than it is Miami's to win. So I think if Boston can look like they did in game three, I don't see why they can't win this series. So to wrap this all up real quick, I want to go around the horn and I want each person to give their series predictions for each series and in how many games. Um, James, start with you. Well, uh, I just I said Lakers in seven. So I'm going to stay, stick with Lakers in seven. It's been about six minutes. I'm, nothing changed. <laughs> so Lakers in seven. Um, 
I think the Heat actually take this one. Wow. Maybe in six. Yeah, after okay. watching, I mean, I covered the Bucks and Heat series, and I saw a lot there. And I think if that same Heat team can come back, they're really stacked all the way through offense and defense. So I think I want I want to see the Lakers and the Heat play. That'd be really cool to watch. Nice. Trading, who do you got? I'll start with the East. Um, like I said, I think the Celtics finish up in, uh, let's say, I'll call it seven games. I think the Heat got one more in them. Um, I'm going to go Nuggets in seven. I like, I like the last two games. I, it, they, you know, they lost by only a, 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 a buzzer beater in game two. I thought they were going to win that game. I was pretty excited. And then they and then they won game three, came back. That didn't hurt them. Let's go. Nuggets, uh, Nuggets Celtics in the final. Take that pick. Eric, who do you got? I wish Shaden was going to be correct, but I think it's going to be Lakers in six. And for the East, I think <laughs> that the Celtics will come back. Uh, they're resilient. There's some dogs. It's going to be Lakers, Celtics finals. Come on. The NBA is just a parody. We know this. Um, yeah. Let me get off the soapbox. I think Celtics will win that series in seven, and I think Lakers will win at six, and they will see each other in the finals where the Celtics will win in seven games. Whoa. Well, I did agree with you completely to that last point. I'm going to go Lakers in six, Boston in seven. Lakers take the final in six games. But we'll see what happens. So next week, hopefully we'll get a pretty good idea of those last few series. Maybe a couple teams will will, will, will already have an idea of who's going to be in the final. Um, other than that, that's all I got for the NBA. Tyler, thank you so much for letting me know more about the NBA that I wanted to hear so much about. Um, <laughs> You're welcome, bud. But anyways, uh, good episode tonight, guys. Uh, just wanted to thank everybody who continues to listen on to our baffling. Um, we're going to continue to bring the heat for you guys with all the sports going on. The sports, it felt like a month ago, like we were just so erect and rambunctious about all these sports going on at once, and now they're like getting – narrowed down to the end at least baseball playoffs are going to be starting up soon so we're going to have a lot of in-depth uh information with that but thanks to all our listeners follow followers keep up uh the bracket challenge is coming down to the wire for the, the nhl playoffs um we do one half that will be going to that lucky winner plus whatever else we said we would give them james i don't remember what we said to give them, but <laughs> this is a gift card man $25 okay. is not a gift card. yeah but uh the TLDR bumps, they come every now and then. Uh, you heard them on the, on tonight. Uh, shout us out if you need any more bumps for your teams. We can't do, like, too many in one week. That might be, like, turning into curses, but we want to thank you guys. <laughs> be selective. Uh, yeah. got to be selective and uh, keep listening, guys. We'll keep bringing it for you.